Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yes! Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Be the Right Club Today podcast. We've got the great Randall Chambly returning and unfortunately there's not there hasn't been anything going on in the golfing world for us to talk about so we're uh as Brandall said before he came on we're scraping the bottom of the barrel trying to find topics so I think it's going to be it's going to be tricky totally joking Brandall welcome back yeah it's nice to be with you guys and unfortunately what we do have to talk about is is pretty much tough to stomach to be honest well it is especially for us uh, older guys Brandall who walked a lot of miles and hit a lot of balls out there. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm at a loss. I mean, that's why I wanted to get you on. Maybe you knew something that, that we don't know, you know, why is, what are these guys missing that they think they should get? You know, I don't think it's really that complicated to be honest with you. It's just really about greed, uh, blind, obnoxious greed to use, uh, the words that, that Phil, uh, used to describe the PGA tour, which, Again, I joke that if I were head of the PIP, I would rename it the Player Irony Program and give him the whole $40 million. Uh, that is what this is about. Um, you know, and, and, you know, more recently, Greg Norman sent a terse letter to Commissioner Jay Monahan, starting out, surely you jest, and then talking the whole while about the legal ramifications and how the lawyers of the PGA Tour are holding their breath, and the whole while implying that he knew better than the market what tour players are worth it reminded me of a communist pretending they knew better what the price of a loaf of bread was than the market uh what what he's failing to recognize is that he's not dealing with market realities here the market determines what players are worth in other words you buy um you know the 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 pga tour you know puts a purse out but it's based upon uh the ratings that they think they're going to get the ability to recoup that money via ad dollars and sponsored dollars and TV rights dollars. The market determines those things. And as Tiger came along and ratings soared and sponsors came, you know, rushing to the PGA Tour for a number of reasons, uh, obviously the popularity of Tiger Woods, but also the integrity and in the uh, of, of the, the golfers. Uh, it made it a very appealing product to put on TV. And so players were played, paid exponentially more. What's going on with what Greg is trying to infer are market forces is not market forces. These are people who are blindly willing to pay whatever it takes to restore their reputation. He's in effect dealing with the mob. It's a tyrannical dictator, but it's the mob. And the mob is willing to pay anything they can to get the police to look the other way. Well, these tyrannical dictators are willing to pay whatever they can to these players, tens of hundreds of millions of dollars so that they can restore their reputation. I mean, this is kind of a knee-jerk, well, not a knee-jerk. This is, this is a, a reaction to the downfall of the reputation of the regime after Jamal Khashoggi's butchering uh, in the Saudi uh, embassy in Istanbul. But, you know, prior to that, I mean, it wasn't like uh, Saudi Arabia and MBS were on the up and up. Uh, he is, uh, if you just spend 30 minutes online, 30 minutes online, just type in MBS and, and let it go. Read everything. Uh, your stomach will, will turn. So that's who, and that's the funny part. That's who Phil and Greg Norman are implying would be a better boss uh, and a better administrator of professional golf than Jay Monahan. I say to Greg, surely you jest. So, Wow. So, Brandall, is it is it just because of guaranteed money? Is that what I mean? I, I keep looking at it, and Hal and I have been talking about this a bunch. But I look at it from you, you guys are going to have to answer this question. I never play on the PGA Tour, but is it just because the the top guys or or a guy like Phil thinks he should have gotten more guaranteed money, and that's why he believes that that the Saudi group was a better a better administrator of a tour? You know, in general, I would say that people who make it to the PGA tour are pretty much type a personalities, you know, they, they're, they're disciplined and uh, uh, they're, 
you know, got, they're, they're, they're bloated with self-confidence and that's, that's important. I mean, you've got to have a, a level of arrogance to, to make it to the PGA tour. You're surrounded by people who are from a talent perspective, close to as good as you are. So you've got to be really arrogant. And sometimes that includes thinking, you know, everything, um, in spite of strong evidence to the contrary. Uh, so there, there is that part of it just in general tour players, uh, it's not uncommon to be in a room full of tour players and listen to them talk about how they think they could run the tour better than the tour. But tour players are athletes and they're too busy doing what they do to really understand the nuances of business. I've met, as sure as Hal has, over the years, the various board members that, that come and go on the PGA Tour. And to the man, they're sharp. And woman, they're sharp. Um, they're sharp. Uh, and, and with the readily available forensic devices to dig into the comings and goings in business and finances. Uh, do you honestly think it's anybody would make the colossal mistake of, of, of trying or trying to protect their interests over the betterment of the tour? All of these things will get flushed out if they did. And these men and women who are involved on the PGA tour have spent years and years and years in business and have uh, remarkable reputations and get to the spot where they are, all for the betterment of the tour. The monies that they have on the PGA Tour for three reasons. Purses of the six different tours around the globe that they have. Therefore, um, charity. And then for the future betterment of the PGA Tour, people love to say, well, why does the tour have surplus revenue sitting around? Well, if they hadn't have had it, what would they have done during the pandemic? When is um, preparing for a rainy day a bad proposition in business. And just because they have cash on hand doesn't mean they just uh, arbitrarily disperse it amongst the players. Uh, anybody who runs a business knows that you have to prepare for a rainy day. And thank goodness the PGA Tour did. So, Randall, I think Phil threw around $20 billion in cash sitting around. Is that what I heard? Well, what he was referring to is NFTs, uh, non-fungible tokens. Uh, and, you know, with the cryptocurrency, you know, barrage that's going on in the world, and it's never going to end. I mean, cryptocurrency is here to stay. Uh, and NFTs are, you know, I mean, they're here to stay. And when you start to imagine what, what you could do with NFTs, these non-fungible tokens, well, you know, recently there was a group of guys who wanted to fund the, the uh, sort of a digital uh, country club atmosphere. It was called LinksDAO, and DAO stands for Decentralized Autonomous Organization. Uh, and they raised $12, $14 million in a day or two. There's scores and scores of teenagers sitting around on millions of dollars of, of Bitcoin and Ethereum and every other cryptocurrency that you can think of. And uh, they're only too happy to buy these non-fungible non tokens. So if you imagine all the digital assets that the PG2 PGA Tour has, right? And, and 20 billion was a pie in the sky number that Phil threw out there. But if you can imagine, you know, what a, what a digital and Phil confuses Augusta National with the PGA Tour. They have their own rights to their media. And he said, you know, he had to pay the tour. People who wanted to get that shot of him at the 2010 Masters had to pay the tour $3.5 million. They didn't, they had to pay Augusta National. Phil was wrong there, as he's been wrong on almost everything that's come out of his mouth recently about this. Um, but if you can imagine what an NFT of that shot would sell for amongst the, 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 the millions of people with millions of dollars in cryptocurrency, it would have sold for a lot. Okay, but imagine the PGA Tours asset. Does he think for a second that if they exercise the right, and they eventually will, I mean, NFTs, I'm sure they've had people at the PGA Tour talking about NFTs for years. This didn't sneak up on them. They're far too sharp. This wouldn't have snuck up on them. So they would have been talking about NFTs and how to monetize those in the best possible way. That money, along with the, the increase in interest in gambling on the PGA Tour, all of that money is going to work its way into the betterment of the PGA Tour player's life, the PGA Tour's organization, and their charitable interests. All of that money, what's about to happen on the PGA Tour is going to be an unprecedented growth in purses, but also the well-being of golf around the world. Because along with Augusta National, the USGA, the PGA Tour, they're all on, this, all on board of properly, properly growing the game 
around the world. The PGA Tour is about to, if you're a PGA Tour player, imagine how if you were coming out right now as a rookie in 1983, you know, if this, you know, next year is your 1983, how you, you're, you're, you would have made a half a billion dollars playing the PGA Tour over your career or hundreds of millions for sure. And you would have hundreds of millions in your pension fund. Uh, what's about to happen on the PGA Tour is, is going to be mind-boggling, but definitely athletes on the PGA Tour are going to be compensated along the lines of the very best athletes in other sports. And that's only because the market dictates that. It's not because some tyrannical dictator of a, you know, the, the most repressive regime on the planet wants to give the impression that they're playing nice in the world. So, Brando, you mentioned athletes in other sports. You know, golf is the the one of the only outside of maybe bowling that's performance completely performance based. Um, you know, do you think that that needs to change? I mean, you think about going to miss in ten straight cuts, you're out a bunch of money. If you know, we had Andy Pettit on the podcast this last week, and if Andy has ten bad starts, he's still getting his paycheck, right? Like, there's guaranteed contracts. I mean, do you think that? You know, one of the questions I was going to ask you is if you were Jay Monahan's, what, what, what's the direction? What are you, how do you adjust for all this stuff? But do you think, you know, coming up with a, a if you're, you've got full status on tour coming up with a yearly stipend to cover expenses, like, are there, are there any, any things, anything that you, you would suggest that they could, they could tweak, they could change? Well, I think that's always been one of the more appealing aspects of golf is that there are no guaranteed contracts. Now, as a player, if you show up and you miss the cut, yeah, you're out airfare for these guys that's usually private airfare um hotel caddy fees and all the rest of it uh but you know if a if you miss 10 straight cuts let's say and um you're the corresponding athlete in the nfl or the nba or the mlb uh or uh you're you're out of the sport anyway you know you're they're not you're not going to stick around you're out of the sport i mean if you have the corresponding year to 10 straight missed cuts likely uh, chances are that you're going to get cut from the team um you know it's uh are you talking about a stipend yeah i mean sure i mean that's 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 something i i guess i wouldn't be opposed to you know augusta national does that i believe the u.s open does that i believe the pga does that i think the open does that they they provide some sort of basic stipend it might be as little as five thousand dollars i'm not a hundred percent sure on that um and sure, but I mean, you're talking about if a guy plays 25 tournaments, what would that stipend be? Um, you know, $10,000. Um, you know, I, I think basically players are arguing for the reverse of that. They're arguing for the better players to get paid more, not for the worst players to get paid more. Um, yeah, you know, if, you, if you're missing 10 straight cuts, um, you know, <laughs> you, you need to go home. You need to go home. You need to go practice. Uh, that's that's the sport telling you you're not good enough. Um, so I don't mean to interrupt. Yeah. You, Brad, oh, go ahead. Let's let's for a second here. I want to regress back a few years, and let's talk about when Greg Norman tried to do this the first time, and his beef to all the guys I was out there at that time was he would have been recruited. Yeah, he was trying to talk me into doing it actually, right. and he said how you deserve to make more money because the top 30 money winners are what drive the tour. That's the only reason why people turn the tour on is because of the top 30 money winners. That was his argument then, you know, and I'll, I'm not going to lie, you know, 99 Medina before the 99 Ryder cup, you probably know something about this, but there was a meeting and I mean, Phil asked for a whole lot of money to play that year. And that never really got out of the room. I'm not even going to say how much it was, but it was a lot. And it was big to do. And, you know, I never felt like, and I made the statement in that room. I said, you know, every time I play in a Ryder Cup, I feel like I play for the guy when I was 11 years old and I went to the golf course the first time. His name was Ed Peck. He was a class A pro. He helped me with my grip. He helped me with get started in the game. And every time I played in the Ryder Cup, I played for Ed Peck. And, you know, I didn't need to get paid by them to do that. You know, I felt like I owed that. But we have this new thing going on where the world owes them something. And 
uh, you know, I, yeah. I get riled up when I start talking about it, you know, uh, I know Und- you do too. <laughs> under- understandably, you know, I mean, Norman and, and I've, I've had similar discussions with Phil somewhere around 98, 99. And I don't know why Phil played the BC open, but he did. And he, and I got paired with him the first two days. We shot the same score. I got paired in Saturday. We shot the same score. We got paired Sunday. So all four days I got paired with Phil. At the time I was on the advisory committee and you know, the range BC open, it's nowhere near the golf course. You got to get in a van. So every day I'd ride with Phil to the van and he would bend my ear about how the tour is run only by stars. So oblivious to the point that one of the greatest stories in all of sport is the underdog story. We still talk about the USA beating Russia in the 1980 Olympics. We still talk about how unlikely it was that John Daly won the 1991 PGA Championship. We still talk about Sofia Popov winning the Open Championship after considering quitting, caddying, not being a part of the game, hanging it up. She comes back and wins the Open Championship. Well, I will admit that we tune in to watch stars the underdog story is a very important element of the game. And the idea that you can only have 30 stars and pick those stars out of the blue as if they're concrete, never changing. The idea that they don't rise and fall. If you had picked these so-called 30, 40 stars in 2014, you know, Brooks Kepka's not on that list. R- Ricky Fowler is on that list. Ricky Fowler wouldn't be on there now. You think about all the players. Anthony Kim would have been there in 2008. Camilo Vajegas would have been on that team. They wouldn't be there now. But the idea that you could just arbitrarily choose who the stars are and say, this is it, this is our tour without any feeder tour, you think about what the PGA Tour does. Not only does it have five different ways, four different ways, to get onto the PGA Tour, through Canada, Latin America, China, wherever you want to go, Corn Ferry Tour. They have all these different ways that you can ascend to the PGA Tour. Now, once you're there, there are no better tournaments, no better run tournaments on better golf courses anywhere on the planet. And I say that with all due respect to the DP World Tour because they run amazing events. But I've even heard their players come over here and comment about how good the golf courses are and how well the tournaments are run and obviously how big the purses are. But beyond that, our pension plan, the PGA Tour's pension plan, is unparalleled. I promise you. MBS doesn't have a pension plan uh, in the works for whatever players uh, try to sign. And, and, and nor would have Greg Norman, nor would have Greg Norman. I mean, the advantage that the PGA Tour has is that they're, they're macro, not micro. Greg Norman is looking at himself and he's pretending to be a victim, that I should be paid more, that I am the biggest thing and the best thing that's ever happened to golf. And I should be commensurately rewarded as if he's LeBron James or Michael Jordan. Well, they were a heck of a lot better at their sports than Greg Norman was. Uh, and, and all Greg Norman is trying to do now is because he lost that battle in the 1990s. And now then it's reignited with the Saudis is get that big payday and show the world, try to show the world that he is this intellectual giant that has been a victim of, of the PGA Tour all these 20, 30 years, when in fact nothing else could be further from the truth. He's just has an ego the size of Jupiter. Couldn't agree with you more. Uh, I, I tell you, people don't really realize uh, how good the PGA Tour Pension Fund is, you know, and, and how, I mean, there's no telling how much Phil and Tiger have in their, in their uh, pension fund. I mean, uh, we could take a stab. And we might be way off on it. But Phil probably has two hundred fifty million. Phil does. He probably has two fifty, two hundred fifty million. I bet. Tiger, who knows? Yeah, who billion. Knows? Right. Yeah, it, it it is amazing, and people don't realize that. And and uh, you know, I was so proud to be part of the PGA Tour in my years of being out there, and I would have never bit the handoff that fed me. You know, one of the things that I'd like to say on here is I read something the other day that feels worth $600 million. If he is, the platform for him to be able to do that was called the PGA Tour. And, That's exactly right. And he should be proud, as he could possibly be, to have had that opportunity to showcase his skills. That's exactly right. If this if this so-called Saudi tour, Saudi back tour were around and had could, could have recruited him away in 1991 or 1992, uh, his his uh, platform wouldn't be near as big. 
uh, he would not have benefited from a, a commercially off the golf course to any stretch of the imagination that he has. Uh, and you're right. He's, he's played, he's, he's played the media pretty well. You know, he's, he's pretended, I will say, I think pretended to be this gregarious, fun, loving guy signing autographs. I, I never found that to be the case. Um, I, I always looked at him with, and thought that was kind of a saccharine smile. Um, uh, but whether or not, you know, whether or not it was sincere or not, the person getting the autograph, it was it was all they wanted. So so good for Phil that he recognized that there were commercial opportunities in signing autographs. I mean, that's a, an astute business decision on his point. Uh, but nonetheless, it, he wouldn't have been seen doing that if he were playing the so-called Saudi back Super League, uh, which I've renamed, in my, at least in my mind, the Superficial League. Um, um you know, he, he wouldn't have been on the stage, to your point, Hal. The PGA Tour is this enormous stage. This is why the best European players, for the most part, have come over to the United States and wanted to play this tour. They're the best run tournaments with the biggest purses and with the highest possible um, uh, exposure for them to benefit from corporate dollars all over the world. Brando, before all this stuff came out with with Phil, there was rumors with Bryson sniffing around, DJ sniffing around. Do you think those guys were close to pulling the trigger? You know, it, it seems like Bryson was a lot closer, even if you look at his uh, statement that he put out, that he, he wasn't um, – he didn't say anything along the lines of, you know, my commitment is to the PGA Tour. He said uh, – or maybe he did say that, but he said it also in the same – sort of sentence or sentiment with as long as the best players in the world are playing the PGA tour, I'll continue to play it as if that is the deciding factor that he will go where they are as if he's a sheep. Um, you know, it, it, it's not that he ever spoke out against the atrocities or where the money's coming from. Uh, and he, you know, he wasn't repulsed by that. He was just saying that my allegiance is to wherever the best players in the world are playing. So, you know, I think he probably had a change of heart when he realized that every one of the best players in the world uh, in front of him uh, have all given their allegiance to the PGA tour. And that all of a sudden, wherever he was going to go would hold uh, a, a, a marginal interest for anybody who wanted to watch golf. Well, one of the things that shocked me a little bit this last week was the way that they tried to spin it, that Phil was doing this for everybody else on the tour. <laughs> and, and, and honestly, I happen to be one of the people that's pretty well versed that Phil does things that benefit Phil, not Boy, don't everybody you. else. Don't, don't you. I mean, the way, look, I know you were too, I think, gracious. I'm not saying you were too gracious, but you were extremely gracious uh, and magnanimous after Phil made it sound like you were the reason that he has such an atrocious Ryder Cup record. I was, I, inside, I was applauding you for your magnanimous nature. Uh, that, that had to be hard for you to do, but, you know, the Ryder Cup failures from 1995 to 2019 have, amongst many things, but one thing primarily in, com in common was his participation on them. So I, I think he showed up, um, apathetically involved i think he showed up with his own agenda I, I you know i felt like the dynamic of tiger who and i've said this many many times through no fault of tigers every room gets a little weirder when tiger walks into it people don't even know how to act around him and if you're paired with him the other side becomes a bit of an underdog a huge underdog actually so they've got nothing to lose and if you're paired with tiger you've got everything to lose if you bring him down so it created this interesting dynamic that was you know, Tiger by himself was almost unbeatable, but Tiger with anybody else, uh, well, he was he was beatable. But Phil's record, on the other hand, uh, you know, it was if you find corresponding great players and you match up their Ryder Cup records, you'll see a glaring difference in Phil's Ryder Cup record versus his success on the PGA Tour. Why did he play so bad in the Ryder Cup? Why? And then why would he blame it on you and Tom Watson and not accept, you know, blame for his his own poor performances in that Ryder Cup uh you know there's there's numerous you and I could do a whole podcast on the ways that you and I think that Phil manipulates pretty much every scenario to his benefit but amongst tour players amongst that small group of people now lest we not forget that at one point he was voted the least most popular player on the PGA Tour by his peers the least most 
Now, why is that? I'm, Phil doesn't cuss. I don't see him throw clubs. I don't, he doesn't play slow. Why would he be voted the most, the least popular player on the PGA Tour? You just have to think about that. Now, as his peers have aged and shuffled off the tour, younger players have come up who've grown up watching him. So they come at him with a different view. He's no longer, he's not their peer. He's sort of somebody they grew up idolizing or watching. Uh, and so I can understand sort of a, a less uh, severe take on Phil as he's continued to age and still be relevant uh, with his younger uh, peers on the PGA Tour. But, uh, but that's, Phil, that's Phil's reputation amongst his players. The fans, they may love him uh, because, look, you can win your way to popularity, smile a little bit, sign some autographs. The bar's low. The bar is really low. This is why I, you know, I always say this. They, you don't have to do much to win the respect of the crowd. Act like you're enjoying what you're doing. Act like you understand it's a privilege. Win, smile, sign autographs. The bar is dadgum low. You know, um, you know that's why I don't understand people who are the reverse of that. Uh, so Phil got that part right. Uh, from a commercial benefit standpoint, but within the PGA tour where they don't care so much about wins and smiles and autographs, um, he's not viewed near as favorably. Wow. I, I don't even know how to respond to that, Brandon, because I couldn't have said it. You know, that was pretty eloquent to describe what's happened over the last 25 years out there and the different feelings that everybody has had, you know, it took me, I'm, I'm not going to lie. It took me a lot of years of swallowing my tongue basically to not come out and just lambast basically. Right. And, uh, you know, I've been watching this quietly from the side thinking to myself, well, this is going to turn around and bite you finally. And, uh, and it has, it's been him. And I don't, you know, I don't care how big a check you can write, Brandon, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about or how big a check you cash. Your reputation is worth, worth way more than that. I can tell you that. And at the end of this whole thing, he's going to have a, a much better understanding of that. Yes, he is. And, and, and so is Greg Norman's, you know, Greg Norman's letter to Jay Monahan. You know, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not about to try to get out over my skis on this issue. I'm certainly no legal expert, but I, I have talked to uh, legal professors, sports lawyers who are now professors. Uh, one of them was a, a lead lawyer for the NFL. Um, so I've talked to these people about the, 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 the likely antitrust legislation that's, that will come before the PGA tour. And, and, you know, Greg, I think, um, sort of peripherally alluded to past legislation along these lines. You can go back and look. It was the AFL in 1960. It was the USFL, I think, in 83. Uh, in, in both of those instances, there was correspondence within the organizations uh, saying they were going to crush the AFL or crush the USFL. And, and those ultimately did those law cases in for their respective uh, cases. Um, but in this particular case, you could argue, I think, and I've again, I've talked this, I've vetted this out with, with some legal scholars. If you're in the court of law, you know, the case is, is this league good for golf? Is this league going to help grow the game? Is this league going to improve or at least not tarnish the image of the professional golfers? So all those three things, I think, will be adjudicated eventually. I, I, that's, this is, again, not an expert just talking to legal experts. And you could argue that because, you know, there's nothing more important to a sport than the integrity of their athletes. Your athletes are now getting in bed with the most, at least in my view, and, and, and certainly if you look at human rights uh, records, the, the most egregious regime uh, that there is in the world. I mean, it's certainly at the top of that list. So you're now in bed with that. The same people, the same people that, that commit these atrocities, that butchered Khashoggi, that put death to apostates, that make women wear burqas and, in jail, and put them in jail if they complain. And I don't even want to mention some of the other horrific atrocities that this regime commits because it's just too shocking. But go online, do yourself a favor, go online and look at them. But those are the same people that will be signing the checks for this league. 
Now, does it not tarnish the reputation of these golfers getting in bed with them? I would argue in a court of law, you could make that point. You could make it perfectly clear. I don't think this is apples for apples, the AFL or the USFL. Uh, I, I, I just don't. I'm, I'm, I'm much more sanguine about if this goes to trial, the PGA Tour's ability to prevail against this Saudi-backed golf league in an antitrust legislation. Now, again, I've talked to several different legal scholars, professors, uh, and, and former um, NFL sports lawyers. Uh, some of them are not inclined that way, but some of them certainly are. But all of them think that the argument could be made that this is not better for the PGA Tour. It is not essentially about growing the game. It is about sports washing. I think that can be clearly delineated in a, in, a, in a court of law. It can certainly be clearly delineated in a court of law that it is not in the best interest of the game that Greg and Phil are putting this, this, this league forward. It's in the best interest of their finances, but not in the best interest of the game. So, you know, I, I, I think, uh, you know, when I read Greg's letter, I thought, okay, all right, I want to see this played out uh, because I, you know, from everything I've read, uh, I, I think this will have a different outcome uh, in, in court from an antitrust uh, perspective. Randall, if you're, if you're Phil, where do you think Phil goes from here? That's a good question. I don't know. I mean, he's always been very, very good at uh, navigating his, his self through potential scandals. He's always, he's always been really, really good at that. Uh, but a lot of that has to do with, and I've, I've, I've said this before, a lot of this has to do with him winning so much, smiling a lot. And because we conflate athletic achievement with high character, he's enabled to sort of skate with his Machiavellian nature through all these hurdles, existential hurdles. But I don't know about this one. Honestly, I don't know about this one. He, he essentially, uh, you know, all but said he was more concerned about his media rights than he was human rights. And then with his comments uh, to Alan Shitnuck, uh, where he seemingly with amusement mentions, mentions the atrocities committed by this regime that wants to fund this superficial golf league. Um, he, he did it not with horror or sadness or empathy. Uh, and that's a tough hurdle to get over. Um, I think wherever, wherever he ends up, uh, this will always be a part of his legacy. So, he mentioned that uh, it, to Alan that he and two other golfers funded the lawyers that put this together. Have, I mean, you got any knowledge of any of this? Well, only only that I've I've read that. You know, he's 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 writing the agreement, co-writing the agreement. Um, <laughs> so, you know, to what extent is that um, viewed as involvement with this tour, and to what extent does that lead to his his uh, dismissal? from the PGA tour, you know, he's, you know, he's, if he's not at the players championship, then I'll think, you know, he, he's won Arnold Palmer invitational. He's won the players championship. If he's not at either of those. And <clears throat> one thing I know about Phil is, is that he loves golf. I mean, he loves being gone and competing. Uh, you know, here he is in his fifties. He still seems like he's playing almost every week, PGA tour champions, PGA tour. And, um, I don't see him taking weeks off um, to get a clear head, um, you know, so it wouldn't surprise me if he was suspended from the PGA tour. Well, they don't ever report that, but I've made the same statement. Uh, I just, you know, there's a few tournaments. He wouldn't have missed waste management. He wouldn't have missed Riviera. Right. And, uh, you know, that was not, I don't think that was by choice, but right. maybe he, maybe he's ashamed of where he's at right now. And some of the things that he said, I don't know. I, that doesn't sound like Phil to me. But. Well, he's, he's always been able to control the narrative, even at the Amex out in the desert. Well, he was the host and he didn't do one interview in the media center that week, not one. And, you know, he did it. He did an interview. You know, I, I talked to a, uh, a reporter who he did an interview with and the reporter said that he was allowed to ask two questions and, he, and Phil needed to see the questions beforehand. So Phil was controlling the narrative, you know, I mean, you know, to, you know how, how do you, how do you, how are you Phil Mickelson? You're the host of a tournament and you don't go in the media center. Uh, that's Phil controlling the narrative, trying to. Well, here's a point that I will bring up when we were at Hazeltine, you know, and he brought up 
about me not giving him a chance to get used to uh, the ball, you know, and he signed this big contract with Callaway and he's out on the other golf course trying to prepare for how far the Callaway ball would go. And, but yet it's still my fault. So he tells him that I'm over at Minneapolis golf club working for the PGA. They don't give me heads up. And here comes the media trying to say, what's up with this house. And here's Lanny Watkins over here screaming at me, tell him like it is, tell him like it is, you know? And finally I look around and I said, well, if his shoulders aren't broad enough to shoulder the responsibility of his play, then mine are. And I turn around and walk off. So that evening I start getting these calls from an unknown number and I don't answer the, do you answer unknown numbers? I don't know. Right. So in a little bit, I get a text from Julius Mason and Julius says, how that's Phil Mickelson trying to call you answer the phone. I said, I don't answer unknown numbers. And if he's wanting to apologize to me, he ought to at least let me know who it is. Right. So right. then he texts me basically the apology, you know, and, I mean, that's, that's who he is. And that's, that's who he is. That's who he is. I've got numerous texts from uh, current and former players, some of them in the hall of fame. A hundred percent of those texts have been exactly like that. This is Phil's true colors. This is Phil. This is, this is the true Phil coming out. A hundred percent of them. not one. Have I got, Hey, 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 you're not, you're not cutting him enough slack or nothing. I have not gotten one of those from a player. Um, not one. Um, so, you know, I, I remember you, I was on the set doing live from, uh, the comments came out. We, we went to your sound. I saw it and I, I, you know, look, I thought that was, as I, as I use the word magnanimous, it really was, it was, it was you taking the high road. Um, but you know, I look, I've, I, I've defended you, uh, you know, in 2004, Perry, Tiger, and Phil a million times. Um, Jack and Arnold play together. Um, why wouldn't they? Why would you not put the best two players together? Um, you, you know, it's it's preposterous that, you know, Jack and Tom Weiskopf, but Tom Weiskopf was the best, next best player, got paired together. Um, you know, it, it's preposterous that that you wouldn't put them together. Uh, and And the fact that they didn't come together is well i mean that that goes down to Ryder cup lore but regardless it was a great story it really was it was great and again this goes back to the underdog story they were playing underdogs the underdogs won that's a great story in golf okay either way you know the fact that you got lambasted for that is ridiculous to me you're just you're just a captain trying to do what would be really cool if they had won the only difference between you being lambasted and you being allotted is just whether or not they came together and won. The decision was the correct one, at least in my view. It was the correct one. And if they can't get along, well, that speaks to their maturity uh, at the time. Look, I, I think Tiger has, has come full circle. I really do. I look at Tiger now, and I think he's, he's grown into being a wonderful ambassador for the game uh, and a spokesman for the game. Uh, and I, I say this all the time. Uh, I, I don't know Tiger. I've played a few rounds of golf, but I don't know Tiger. I just know his best friends. And his best friends are Noda Begay, Steve Stricker. Um, you know, they're, they're some of the nicest guys you will ever meet, if not the nicest guys you will ever meet. Sean O'Hare. Uh, you know, these are some of the nicest guys you will ever meet in your life. And those are his friends, you know. And, and I, I think that means something. And I've watched Tiger when he speaks on the game over the last few years, four, five, six years. You know, he is appreciative of the questions. Even if he gets an awkward question, uh, you know, he handles it beautifully. He smiles. Uh, there's an authenticity to him. And I have had over the years, numerous conversations with people that got paired with Tiger and Phil and, and they're, they're almost well, to the man, to the man, they will say, Oh, it's, it's, it's a much better experience getting paired with Tiger. Um, because there's an authenticity to Tiger, uh, that just, just the players don't feel is there with Phil. Well, this has been informative. Uh, you know, I, I love, uh, I hate seeing this happen for the tour. I hate that we're being drugged through all of this because uh, I, the tour's been good to us. The tour was good to you. <laughs> it was good to me. And, 
you know, I'm proud to be a, a part of that organization. Still proud of it. I, uh, I didn't, I didn't live in your upper tier of success on the PGA tour, but there was hard, there was hardly, if ever there was a moment where I didn't feel completely spoiled and, and, and blessed to be playing the PGA tour. And even now, you know, I haven't played a PGA tour event. since the 2008 Pebble beach as the last one I played. Uh, even now, you know, I, I look at the benefits that I still receive from the PGA tour, you know, going to a TPC right down the street, you know, being treated with respect when I go out to a TPC, the pension fund that keeps coming my way. Um, you know, I, I don't, I, I don't go, I don't, I, I still feel very blessed to have spent 15 years playing professional golf for the PGA tour. Uh, it was an incredible organization. And even though, again, I did not live in your sphere. But even where I was on the PGA Tour, you know, when I was out there, it was mostly Sid Wilson, who was the player liaison. You remember Sid? Uh, love, Sid. You know, love Sid. Like, Sid treated me like I was a superstar. You know, if I had something to say, he stopped. He stopped what he was doing. Let's have lunch. Let's go have dinner. He wanted to hear what I had to say. And if, you know, if you go into that player advisory council or you go into player meetings, they listen to you. And if there's, you know, the top 125 came about because Gary McCord thought it would be a better idea. He changed in and a few others on that pack, but but they thought it would be a better idea. Let's try this. They 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 brought about change through disputation. You go into that room of players meeting. Sometimes people yell. Sometimes they just they they chin wag all night. And you wonder when the thing's going to end. But they bring about change there. There's a process for change. So uh, I can't imagine a better experience than playing the PGA Tour. Randall, one, one quick, one quick follow-up for, for that, for me, what do you think? And I, we kind of talked about this a little bit earlier, but what do you think Jay, Jay and the PGA tour does from here? I mean, I feel like the, I feel like the, some of the Phil comments made their job a lot easier, made this thing a lot easier for them, especially took, took some of the players that might've been going and kind of, kind of changed the direction. But what do you think, what do you think the PGA try to, tries to do? What do you think Jay tries to do from here? Well, I think, uh, you know, this has always, I think been, on a trajectory of a, of a, a lawsuit, you know, it's going to come to a head because from everything I've read, uh, you know, the, this Saudi backed tour is, is going to hold tournaments. They're going to try to recruit players away from, and will be successful getting somebody to come across and play these, these tournaments. They're going to just find their number, you know, wherever someone will just sacrifice uh, their perspective on human atrocities wherever that is wherever someone was will sacrifice um their clear-headedness and go play this tour but once they play that tour they are going to try to come back to go play the pga tour that's that's in the plan i guarantee you that's in the plan and that's what they want them to try to do and force the pga tour to to ban them from participating and then you know and then the the legal dominoes are going to fall um that's that's inevitable at this point. Uh, it, it's, you know, if I, if I were, if I were a betting man, I'd bet, I'd bet, I'd bet a fair bet on that. Uh, and, and, and again, I, I think, uh, I think the tour will prevail in this case. There was a time when I wasn't sure, uh, but I spent a fair bit of time looking into it and talking to legal scholars and talking, trying to understand the nuances of this case. I am again, no expert on this issue, but I have spent the time to talk to experts and, uh, you know, the, the, the feeling I got from them was that there is a way to success uh, in the courts against this uh, impending antitrust legis legislation. That's, that's my guess. Well, if you're a young man out there, you know, there's a lot of money to be made in golf right now, wherever you play. And to be honest with you, our young woman, it's getting better for the girls, too. It really is. And that's great. And, you know, I enjoy watching the girls play. They got good golf swings, but, uh, nonetheless, uh, I would appeal to everybody out there that's doing this, that do it the right way, do it with the right people, do it for the right reasons. And, uh, at the end of the day, you'll like yourself more for it. Uh, that's my opinion for what it's worth. And I think the PGA tour, is the right reason. So I, 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 could, I couldn't agree more. I mean, you're, you're, the name of your podcast is Be the Right Club Today because that was such a pivotal moment in your career, um, you know, on, 
arguably the biggest stage on one of the toughest holes uh, in the world of golf. Uh, imagine that same shot taking place at two, three, two, three, four o'clock in the morning on some obscure channel that nobody could find um, on a tour funded by MBS. Uh, I, I doubt your podcast would be named Be the Right Club today. Well, and and I was that underdog. You were. You I were was that underdog, and that's what people wanted to tune into. You know, nothing against Tiger, but they wanted to see him get beat because no one was beating him at the time. That's and right. you know, to your point, I wanted to make that point earlier. The world loves underdogs. And yes, they do. <laughs> yes, they do. And and that is that is the you know there are a lot of problems with this this whole idea of this league, but the idea that you can just statically pick stars and they're going to remain stars. And these players don't understand that they will forever be tainted with their cooperation with this regime. And they're doing it for money. Uh, if somebody came out and said, look, I'm just doing it for money. It's not that I would respect them a whole lot, but I would respect them more if they told the truth. Um, but, uh, but, 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 but you're right. And Brandon, I think you bring up a really good point. Like, think about the names of like Will Zalatoris and Victor Hovland and Morikawa and all these young guys that came up for the last, they've come out of nowhere for the last three or four years, right? And so, you know, golf is so deep and there's so many good players coming out. And like, I, I completely agree with you that, or completely agree with the notion that it's not, golf's too deep for it to be about the top 25 or 30 players. Like, there's too much parity. It's not the days of Jack and Gary and Arnold and, and four or five players that were winning a handful of tournaments. I, we were, we had a mini tour player in here the other day, how and I, how and him and I were talking and we, I kind of in jest said, if the fields were 250 or 300 players deep, if you could possibly do that, there might not be a multiple winner on the PGA tour. And they both <laughs> kind of said they agree. And so that's, that's, that's what's so crazy about all this. Well, you're right. You know, and along those lines, like Jack Nicholas had the power to do this. He could have taken the ball and gone home. Arnold Palmer could have taken the ball and gone home. Seve could have probably done something like this. Um, Greg Norman clearly didn't. Um, you know, he didn't have the power of of Jack Nicholas, but Jack wasn't uh, selfishly inclined the way Greg is. Uh, and or was Arnold. Uh, you know, so. You know, yeah, I mean, there is more often parity at the top than, you know, it's rare when somebody can come out and separate themselves so clearly as Tiger did or Jack did or Hogan did. It just doesn't happen very often. Parity at the top, it's very hard to be so good that you can win with your average golf. Tiger could do that. Jack could do that. Not many have been able to do that. Uh, so parity at the top. And that's why it's important to have access feeder tour access to the pga tour and then also a soft place to land as your competitive skills diminish most likely because you're getting older uh but you have a soft place to land i mean the, the pga tour players in between and that sort of purgatory between 45 and 50 although increasingly players are still fairly competitive at 45 but they have a soft place to land they can go you know if they've played any good at all if they choose to set out around 45 they can start drawing their pension fund okay at 45 and bide their time until they go play the PGA Tour, or they can go get some stars on core and ferry tour events and remain somewhat competitive so that they can just shuffle off to the uh, PGA Tour Champions Tour, which, you know, is not a bad place to play golf. Um, if, if you want to play golf until you're 60 or Bernard Lang or 65, uh, it's a heck of a run. You think about it. You can turn pro. What did Joaquin Neiman? He was playing the tour when he was 18. So 18 to, as far as we know, 64. You know, I mean, you know, you're, you're, you're darn near five decades there of, of playing professional golf and all the while being taken care of uh, by an organization uh, that is built around all of the problems and needs and desires of the PGA Tour. It's not like they're autocrats or dictators like MBS. Uh, it doesn't work that way. They have a board. They sit around and listen and they make decisions that they think are, are for the best of the players, the future of the tour and whatever charities they are, are involved in. So I'm going to close with this, and you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. My check cleared every time from the PGA Tour, as long <laughs> as they were right checks. And then they wired the money into my account, just like they did into yours two days later, no matter how big the check was. And there's not a lot of places in the world that you can say you didn't have to worry about it sometimes. 
look, I, you, you were far too good to have to, have to meddled around in uh, many tours like I did, but, uh, I played this tour for a while. I, I won an event in, uh, Tucson and then I went to Vegas and finished second. So I was owed $25,000. I never got it. I never got it. Never got it. another guy. Another guy on that tour was Keith Clearwater. So this was like 1986 and Keith was the leading money winner of that tour. And I think they ended up owing him fifty, seventy-five thousand dollars back in that time in that era when you're a mini tour player, twenty-five thousand, fifty thousand dollars, they might as well be a million dollars. So you get on the PGA tour, every check cleared. I just played in the pro am here at the WM Phoenix Open on Monday, uh, and you know they called and asked me if I'd play in the pro am. I'm like, absolutely, sure. They do so much. They've done so much for charities that I, I was involved in here in town. Absolutely, I come out and play. Um, I just opened up a piece of mail yesterday from the PGA Tour where they they put three thousand dollars in my account because I played in the pro am. I was like, I, you know, like I, you know, I mean, it, I mean, they they always clear right on yeah. time. Uh, you know, the benefits of playing the PGA Tour are are unending and amazing. Yeah. Well, Brando, you you talk about it eloquently. We really appreciate you being on. Our listeners are going to love what you've got to say and and where it came from, the heart. And, you know, you're, I can hear it. You're kind of hurt by some of this, just as I am a little bit. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, uh, I, I don't feel like Phil was in there battling for me or for you. And, you know, I, I think it's okay that we talked about that. I think it's okay that we bear the truth of that. And I appreciate you coming on to do that. I appreciate you having me on Hal and Chase. Uh, I've been a fan of your podcast, enjoyed watching it. And, uh, you know, how, you know, again, you, you lived in another stratosphere of the tour than I did, but you were always so gracious to me. And I always enjoyed playing golf with you and talking to you. You, you were a superstar. I was not, and you always treated me with great respect. So I've never, ever forgot that about you, Hal. So, well, uh, I appreciate it. I was Thank far you. from a superstar, Brandel, but I <laughs> you did were have on a few that good edge, days. <laughs> you know what? I tell you this at 60, I'm almost 64 years old right now. And I do miss what we had out there. I miss yeah. the camaraderie. I miss the locker room, you know, yeah. uh, I, I miss visiting with my friends. And so when I can get somebody like you on, that's a friend and we can visit about the past. It's fun. So it's been for fun that. for me always. It's always great catching up with you. And uh, I, I wish you and Chase continued success with your endeavors. Thank, Thank you, Randall. Appreciate Thank it. You, See you next time. Be the right club today. Yes! <laughs>